This week on a lively experiment, the Republicans finally have a candidate for governor. And a potential suspension of the state's gas tax is gaining momentum, with support in some surprising places. A lively experiment is generously underwritten by... Hi, I'm John Hazenwhite, Jr. For over 30 years, A Lively Experiment has provided insight and analysis of the political issues that face Rhode Islanders. I'm a proud supporter of this great program and Rhode Island PBS. Joining us on the panel, Pablo Rodriguez, Professor Emeritus at the Warren Alpert School of Medicine. Leanne Senek, National Committee Woman for the Rhode Island Republican Party. And political contributor, Scott McKay. Hi everyone and welcome to Lively, I'm Jim Hummel. Five months after the leader of the state GOP said the party was close to announcing a candidate in this year's race for governor, Ashley Kalis said on Tuesday that she would be running. Kalis is a relative newcomer to the state, but in her introductory video, said a fresh perspective may be just what Rhode Island needs. Here are some of other highlights from her debut. My mom was driven to provide a better life for us, so she started her own business and went from filling out food stamp applications to building her own physical therapy staffing agency. That's the American dream. That's the dream that I want to turn into reality for all Rhode Islanders. That's why I'm running for governor. And I'll fight to make Rhode Island a more affordable place to live, work, and raise a family. I will fight for parental involvement in education, and I will fight to end the scourge of addiction and to keep our neighborhood safe. I believe in our unlimited potential. And before us is the challenge of the next half century. We need a leader with gigantic aspirations, an agenda so bold we will tap into every Rhode Islander's hopes and dreams. So Kayla's bought a house in Newport. She had done some politics. Let me start with you, Leanne, in, uh, in Illinois. Relative newcomer, so obviously her bar is going to be getting to know people. But, you know, she's got, she doesn't have to worry about a primary. Yes, I think that's a definite advantage for her. And I know, you know, some of those, the feedback we've seen on social media so far is people saying, you know, she doesn't really go here. And, and I get that. I'm a born and bred Rhode Islander. And that's, you know, my first reaction is you just came here. So how can you tell us what should be done here? But then my second reaction when you, when you think a little bit further about it is maybe that is what we need. Maybe we need a fresh set of eyes on this state. Having the same people sw swapping out roles and, and moving up, and it hasn't helped us. It hasn't got us, you know, better economically. Um, it, as, as we're still... We're in the bottom of a lot of the rankings for uh, this country. And it, it's, it could be what we need is someone different coming in and looking at it with a different perspective and having that kind of outsider's view and being able to take best practices from other states. One of the things she talked about is looking at what other states have done well, how Florida is a great state to retire in, how, how can Rhode Island become that? How can we look at uh, Massachusetts for their education system that's better than ours? How can we look at take those best practices from other states and maybe that fresh set of eyes is what we need? And coming in without all of those ties and that baggage, again, the NOAA guy state, trying to break that kind of mold and looking at things a little differently. There's there's things we can definitely do differently in this state. And I think there's an excitement to her coming out. I really liked the video. I, th I liked what she had to say. I'm glad that she brought up the opioid crisis. It's not something that we talk about that much in the state, and it's very detrimental to our state. And, and to have a governor that would be focused on those things would be we great a good thing for the state. She got the I know a guy line, and she did not say I live <laughs> around the corner from where the Bennies used to be in, uh, <laughs> in that time. Pablo? Uh, yeah, well, I know a guy, and uh, but but I should know somebody. Uh, should be also part of the uh, of the of the message. Uh, you know, it, it, it's hard in my mind to understand how can you become governor uh, without 
having lived in the state and, and known and worked, in, whether as a volunteer or in a nonprofit, trying to understand what the problems are in the state. Coming in, you know, from, from outside and, uh, and pretending that, you know, uh, being able to look at other states uh, for, for solutions is, is what, you know, uh, consultants say. Uh, and, uh, and this is, is going to be a problem, I, I think, for, for her candidacy. Obviously, I have to disclose that, you know, Nelly Gorbea is my best friend. So uh, <laughs> it's, uh, it's easy for me to, to criticize. Scott? You know, it's odd that we have somebody who's never voted before in Rhode Island. I think that's, that's different, put it that way. Um, and I'm sure that there's room for fresh perspectives. We all like to see that in politics. But, look, she's only just opened her campaign. And I think this is obviously a work in progress. And we're going to have to sit back and see what other ideas she comes up with, how much money she's able to raise, unfortunately... Uh, money is a real issue these days, and you can't be heard without raising a lot of it. She's going to have to get out and do that. It's interesting that her husband uh, is a doctor, was once a resident in a Brown program yeah, here. Mm -hmm. uh, so maybe he can show her around Providence. Well, so the two things in my mind, Republicans, as you know, the history, Scott and I, you and I have lived it, and Pablo and Leanne, we've all been here. Ed Dupree, Link Chafee, uh, Link uh, Almond, and Don Kachiri. But, you know, Dupree was mayor of Cranston. Link Almond was longtime federal prosecutor. Don Kachiri, although he was a newcomer to politics, he played football at Brown. So mm -hmm. that kind of gets over the Rhode Island issue. The other issue, though, Leanne, is even if you get a Republican governor in, then you have the big elephant in the room, which is the General Assembly. And how much can you really get done? Even And look, I'm all for fresh faces and whatever. you got to kind of build the farm team to be able to get those votes in the General Assembly. So that's a lot of work that needs to be done. There absolutely is a lot of work to be done to build a two-party system um, in this state because we've seen that a one-party system has not helped the state at all. So hopefully, you know, we can become that vibrant two-party uh, system that would benefit the state greatly. But I think going back to the, the governor, they do need to work with the General Assembly, whether they're a Democrat or a Republican governor. And we've seen issues between both um, being able to work with the General Assembly. The Speaker of the House has a great deal of power. Sometimes people th say that's more powerful than the role of governor. So it's not like you can say that just anybody going in there is going to be able to automatically have those relationships. And coming in as a newcomer, we've brought people in from out of the state to run um, education, to run different uh, programs in the state, and, and that's worked out sometimes, sometimes it doesn't. But the idea that we would just automatically write someone off because they don't have those ties here, I, I don't think is a good thing necessarily. It's kind of closed-minded for us. But <laughs> What does she need to do in the first two months? First of all, she needs to raise a lot of money, which is kind of the sausage-making of politics, but unfortunately, it has to be done. Secondly, She's got to get out there. If I was her, I would have a listening tour of Rhode Island, at least. Have some public meetings, make it look like, at any rate, that you care about grassroots, everyday Rhode Islanders. She did a little she bit of that. that. We saw her. Yeah. She was at some businesses. We saw that on social media. And she media. has done that within the party, too. She's reached out to almost everyone on the state central you had and had conversations with you, them. You had a brief conversation uh, a pretty decent conversation with her um, back in January, and she really wants to know what the issues are that are affecting everybody. I think that she did listen to the input that she got from the, the people that she has talked to and, and the things that she's talking about, the economy, the education, all of those things. That she's going to start doing that and going around to businesses, definitely going around and hosting like town hall-type meetings and finding out what is important to, to people. Yeah, obviously, she has to get better known. That's, right. that's her first challenge.
And, I, and you know, frankly, I'm, I'm a primary kind of a guy. I think primaries are important in, in the electorate learning about candidates. Uh, and it provides for a good um, training for the, general, uh, for the general election. Not having a primary to me is a, it's a problem for her because everything is going to be hunky-dory with all the party people. Uh, but once the real... And then you got eight weeks. Exactly. Yes. Right. Exactly, exactly. So I think, you know, it is, it is the detriment to the Republican Party that they don't have a, a primary for governor. No one should run, you know, just straight. Everybody should have competition from the beginning. You know, one thing about Rhode Island is very few places in America can you be a statewide major party candidate with 12 or 13,000 votes in a primary. Mm. I mean, it's a small universe of, of Republican voters. And so the problem for all Republicans, and this is why I think the moderates, and, and we go back, people are moderate, uh, you know, such as Dupreet, um, Link Allman definitely was a classical moderate Republican, and Kachiri played one when he ran. He turned out not necessarily to be mm. uh, that kind of governor who's in there. But I think the thing about being a Republican in Rhode Island is you have to reach out. You cannot, this isn't Texas or Florida. You can't win statewide with just Republican support. Before we move to the Democratic side, you're, you've started a podcast, so tell me a little bit about that, and you're going to have her on your podcast. Yes. Um, it, we, the podcast is going to be called The Flip Side, um, and I'm going to be hosting it, and we're going to be talking to different candidates, mostly Republican candidates. I don't think we're, the Democrats are going to want to come on and, and speak with us, but to, to highlight what the Republicans have to offer, and the flip side being what is the opposite side of what's been happening in the state. So you'll have a long-form conversation with long her. Long-form conversation so. with her, yes, absolutely. Okay. Um, let's go to the Democratic side. Governor McKee, um, he's losing a lot of department directors, probably not surprising, kind of in this lame duck, for lack of a better term. The, on Thursday night, though, Channel 10 and 12 both reported, Scott, that the federal, the FBI is now looking into the ILO contract. So this takes it to another level. Doesn't mean that anything's there, but, and I think part of it may be because it's federal money. Clearly they have an interest in it. How serious is this? And, and the culmination of what the governor's had to, kind of the bumps along the road that he's had. This is very bad timing for the governor, obviously. When you're running for re-election, <laughs> you do not want the headline to be FBI <laughs> probing, you know, what you were doing in the early days of your new administration. We know he did not have a strong link or strong ties to Governor Raimondo. And so, kind of in reaction to that, uh, you see Governor McKee relying very much on his friends who are mayors, the Charlie Lombardis in North Providence, the Joe Policinas in Johnston. Now, this is fine, but when it looks like that that's your whole thing. That, and this, I can see the ad now on the Cumberland Cronies. And Nelly's getting it ready already. I'll, right? bet, I'll bet somebody is because this is not a good look. As far as the turnover, I mean, the beauty, there's a beauty and a bane for that. He's in the middle of, you know, a campaign right now. And what he can do is he can put in some new people uh, and appeal demographically to the same way when he picked Sabina Matos mm. to be his lieutenant governor. It's reaching out to the Latino community, for mm -hmm. instance. Mm -hmm. You can put somebody in who reaches out to the labor community. Of course, you know, when three guys want a job and you're governor, everybody knows the old kind of political joke is you make one friend and two enemies. Mm. And then 
after a while, the friend that you put in the job thinks that he or she got there because they're qualified. Right. And, you know, so we'll have to see how this works. I, I feel bad for the governor. I really do. Because I think that, you know, deep down inside, he's a good guy. He's not a crook, you know. Uh, and, and the problem is that, you know, he might be over his head. Um, you know, and when you surround yourself with friends, um, uh, friends are not going to give you the, the real bad news. You know, you need people around you that are going to tell you the bad things that you're doing and the good things that you're doing uh, and, and need to help guide you in making decisions. With this uh, um, ILO contract, um, he is familiar with the people that he was working with already, McGee from the from Mayoral Academies. So taking a shortcut. Oh, you know, I'm desperate to get the schools open, so let me just take a shortcut. The optics don't look good. The even optics if, don't even look if good. there's no fire behind the smoke, Absolutely. it's not a good look. Absolutely. But, but, but I think it's more incompetence than, than treachery, you know? I think the problem is not only friends, but friends who want things. Yes. And you've got to be very careful about that, particularly when you're a new governor. You right. need to balance that off. It's almost like Mayor Menino in Boston was very careful because he had a lot of friends. He was a neighborhood Paul who came up through the city council in Hyde Park politics. And he was very careful when he became mayor not to appoint some of the sketchier people uh, from the neighborhood who helped him get where he was. You have to be honest here. You've got to be able to distinguish between folks who are going to help you and deserve a shot at, you know, high state or municipal office and those people who could become liabilities. Yeah, and those are difficult use. decisions. Yes, they are. Yes. They're very tough. And the timing is very bad for the governor on this because with the primary, is he going to be able to have enough time to put this behind him um, so that voters will know, will this be resolved by then? You know, sometimes just the headline enough is enough to say that he's under an FBI investigation. Even if he is absolved of any wrongdoing, even if he's cleared, there's still that cloud there, and that cloud is going to follow him into this primary. Well, and, and, the, and I don't know how long they've been into this. Clearly, the reporters had sources, but the, the FBI might not decide until May June, July. Now, there may be nothing there, but if they do, it gets a little bit closer. To right. The, to and the, the closer, the closer he gets there. Too. It yeah. makes you paranoid yeah. to make decisions. So what's yeah. going to happen now is that every decision is going to be scrutinized to make sure that we're not going to get in trouble again. And that by itself can create other problems. Pablo, let me stay with you. Uh, Congressional District 2, the first guy in is now the first guy out. Ed Pacheco, this is you got eight people on one side, and then you've got the you've got the three uh, Republicans, including Alan Fung and Jessica De La Cruz. Um, probably not a surprise. I would think we're going to see more fall by the wayside, right? There's only so much money. One of my favorite books, uh, Gabriel Garcia Marquez, Chronicle de una muerte anunciada, Chronicle of a foretold death. Uh, you know, and uh, sounds better in Spanish, isn't it? Um, and and I think many of the people that are running for this di district right now, you know, they think that it sounds good. Oh my God, people are interested in you know me becoming a, con a Congress person. Uh, when in reality, you need money, uh, and you need a lot of money in a very short amount of time. Uh, and um, money talks. Uh, it's very sad because. The explosion of money in politics. Do you realize that the average House seat in the last cycle was $2.7 million and the average Senate seat? $10 million? Ten, precisely, yeah. Jim. You got that right. It was a very educated guess. That was a guess. guess. <laughs> that was a guess. <laughs> well, it was an educated but it's a guess. But it's a sad statement, isn't it? It is, and there's so much money sloshing around in politics 
uh, since Citizens United and some of these changes, and nobody uh, really on the Republican side in particular wants to change things or introduce something in Washington that would actually, first of all, provoke more disclosure, which may be the best thing we could do, more disclosure and something that would you know, contrast with the dark money situation that's now out there. Let's talk about the Republican side. Alan Fung, probably not a surprise, but now he's out there. And so you have a primary, but I mean, clearly he's the most well-known probably with the fundraising. What are you thinking about how this is shaking out? Well, again, I think the money is going to be a big issue because they're going to have to pivot very quickly from the primary to the general election, and they're going to need to save a lot of that money. And there's only so much money that you can raise as a Republican in Rhode Island. Um, even though this is probably the best opportunity that we have to gain a congressional seat that we've had in uh, at least 20 years, it it's still going to take a great deal of work and a great deal of the party being together and that base staying together so that the primary, um, I know Pablo thinks the primaries are a good thing. I don't necessarily agree with that because <laughs> it, when you're a small minority party and you have um, factions breaking off, it, it makes it very difficult. And the time to come back together after the primary is very detrimental to that. But the, again, the money, I hate to admit that, but that is going to be one of the key factors. And when you're looking at who can actually win in the general, it's going to be based on how much they're going to be able to afford to go against whoever the eventual Democrat nominee but is going to have. But don't you think this race is going to attract a lot of national money? The Republicans smell an opening. <laughs> and with everything that's going on in Washington and the flip or whatever, don't you think, Pablo, it's going to start pouring oh, in? Absolutely, on both and sides. And Fung's a formidable candidate. On, on, on both yeah. sides. I mean, I, I think that, uh, and, and we've seen it, you know, we've seen the creation now of uh, super PACs, you know, for, for those who are already um, uh, have given enough money or uh, the limit. So now you can give money to a super PAC to support your candidate as well. So this concept of money in politics is really, really mushrooming into, yeah. into, a, um, uh, into a, a super bank, not a super pack. It's amazing what you, and it occurred to me, Scott, when you said how much time they have to spend raising money. My sister went to college with Seth Magaziner's mother at Wellesley. She's on her list. She somehow found her. My sister hasn't talked to her in 50 years. My son, Seth, is going to be running. And by the way, we're holding a breakfast for him in Washington, D.C. on March 29th. Can you come? And so you realize the exhausting amount. I mean, you have to tap into everybody to ask for money. And, you know, the politicians all tell you that's the, that's the part of their job they hate the most. Well, what you look at here, what's going to happen as this thing unfolds, and this always happens, is the polling, to a large degree, determines where the national money goes. Now, if the Republicans have a shot, if the polling shows that Fung or whoever emerges from this primary has a real shot at this race, you will see a ton of national money in here. Mm. Um, you'll see a lot of business money. On the other side, with, say, Magaziner is, is the choice, you'll see a lot of Democratic money, a lot of labor money, the family, as you know, has very close ties to the Clintons. Um, again, Ira Magaziner, Seth's dad, was a top domestic policy advisor to Bill Clinton. They go back to their days together as Rhodes Scholars. And so I think you'll see a real injection of national mm -hmm. money. But a lot of it does depend on the polling and whether or nobody likes to make a bad investment. In other words, you don't want to invest in something that's right. going to fail. But if you've got a shot, if the polling shows fun, uh, let's say, within six, seven points, bingo. 
As Scott, as Scott's favorite line, you not only have to be a Rhodes Scholar, but a Rhode Island Scholar, right, <laughs> if you're running here. That's true. Uh, let's, let's talk about the gas tax and the potential suspension. Jessica De La Cruz was the first yes. out of the block with this, and now it's started, you know, they questioned the governor about it, uh, Ned Lamont is doing it, a temporary suspension. We've got all this money sloshing around. The easy thing would be to say, no, our budget is set. The harder thing is, okay, we're going to suspend the gas tax, and then we'll figure out how to make up that money. Well, I think we can figure out how to make that because we've got extra money now from the opera funds, from um, the $600 million, million surplus. surplus. So Rhode Islanders are hurting. Why not um, give them, this is like a recessive tax too. So this is going to help not just when we talk about taxing the rich. Um, this is going to help people that are more middle class, the lower the lower class people, um, not lower class, but lower income right. <laughs> um, people that would actually need this relief the most. So it's, it's a win-win. It's 34 cents a gallon. And if we then also look at the, the federal tax, too, I mean, I'd like to see it all of it. I'd like to see all of our taxes suspended while we try and cope with the economic impact of COVID and the war and everything else that's happening. So I think it's a good thing. I think if other states are doing it, I'm thinking we're going to see uh, Rhode Island jump on board, and I don't see why we shouldn't. Well, if Massachusetts and Connecticut do, then we're almost forced to because everybody's going to go on. We're a border state. Right, we are. Absolutely. I live a mile from Massachusetts. so Yeah, my friend Nelly Gorbea uh, also uh, pushed for that, uh, <laughs> pushed for a, a pause on the on the. Was gas she the tax. first one out of the blocks on that? Uh, no, she was no, not. Jessica, Jessica, <laughs> Jessica was. was, absolutely. Uh, you know, no, 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 I mean yeah. among the Democratic candidates. Oh, yes, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. She was the first, and, um, and I can tell you, that um, you know, there's been criticism, you know, of of uh, pushing for that because somehow the Republicans are pushing it, uh, and this is the part that just absolutely drives me nuts. Um, that we immediately, you know, get into the tribalism that because right. Jessica de la Cruz, you know, uh, pushed for a gas tax reduction, all of a sudden no Democrat, you know, should dare you know, uh, support that kind of, uh, you know. It's either a good idea or it's not. Oh, my right. God, it's ridiculous. Yeah. You know, the, the whole country is going to hell in a handbasket because of this tribalism. Scott, what do you think? Well, you know, all over the Western world, everybody wants to blame the gas prices on whoever's president. That goes back Republican-Democratic administrations. But the fact is, if you look at the U.K., they're doing something like this. You look at all the EU countries, inflation because of energy prices is almost worldwide among industrialized countries. It is not specific to the United States. It is not because a pipeline got closed down because it was never built. It is not because we don't export uh, oil. It's because the world market right now is tight. And now we've got a war going on where you comp you hit other sources pretty hard. So I don't think that there's an easy way out of this. Perhaps in the short term for a few months, it would be fine. But, the but problem, then at what point do you reinstitute it? That's, then that's well, the problem. Yeah, but we, have to help, we, we have to help poor people. I mean, yeah. you know, for someone, you know, I remember when we used to run out of money in my family. You know, my, my dad would sit around the table and say, guys, you know, I don't get a check for another week. So, you know, no driving, no movies, no nothing. Uh, for people that are driving to work with a, with a terrible, you know, system that we have here in Rhode Island, if you have to drive from Providence to, you know, Point Judith to clean fish, uh, I'm telling you, you are hurting. If you're paying rent, you know, in Rhode Island, you are hurting. Uh, so, you know, this means a lot to poor people to be able to have, you know, 34 cents per gallon. I mean, that's like uh, Christmas. Of course, the other side of this is how many potholes are you willing to put up with? <laughs> Uh, we do build roads, and, and I have to give 
the Raimondo administration some credit here for actually putting in and getting more resources to fix our crumbling highways and bridges. And frankly, the gas tax does put people to work. Yeah, I, it's funny how it's funny how uh, there's this deliberative debate over legislation. The governor's had the why doesn't he just issue an emergency order? We've done that for so many other things. Say I'm going to suspend the gas tax. It's emergency orders, and we'll do it for X period of time until June 30th and right. see how it comes down. That would be a good counterpoint to the FBI investigation. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah but then the problem is, Leah, he's going to have to. What then? What do you do? It, it's not going to come before the primary. They're not going to reinstitute that tax until September 10th or whatever whatever the day is. Absolutely. So, all right, let's do this. Uh, let's get to outrages uh, and or kudos. Scott, let's begin with you. What do you have this week? My outrage is a pretty simple one, but it's pretty outrageous. I would say we look at Virginia Thomas, who is a conservative activist who happens to be the spouse of Clarence Thomas, uh, the most conservative member of the Supreme Court. And if you look at what was just revealed this just came out Thursday night. In the last couple of days, yes, that's correct. The Washington Post, Bob Woodward and Robert Costa, people who are well-known investigative reporters, certainly, uh, found a way to grab these text messages between Thomas and Mark Meadows, who was Donald Trump's chief of staff. And she's just unrelenting in trying to get this, this election overturned. And then her husband decides not to recuse himself, and sure enough, he's the only one of the nine justices who voted not to release uh, the National Archives stuff, including these texts, to the January 6th committee. This just looks awful. This stinks. And Judge Roberts, because the president can't do much about it, and neither can the Congress, they're different branches of government, this really is on the it's shoulders in his of lap, isn't it? Judge Thomas to do something. Yeah, Judge Roberts. Yeah. Judge Roberts to do yeah. something about this. All right. Leanne, what do you have? Well, I haven't seen actually most of the, the text and the context of them, but I think if Here you're talking are. about... Okay. This was from the tranche that came from Mark Meadows. Right. That's right. where yes. it came from, because mm -hmm. right. he handed them over. And she's basically saying to keep trying to go through the legal means to get different results. And if we're looking at it in context of when it happened, and I can't give you any of the specifics on that, but if she was looking right after the election before results were certified and trying to say to keep trying to overturn things, I, I don't think that that's as bad as we think it is. The the worst part is with everything, um, like with Watergate, uh, we can talk about Hunter Biden's laptop, the cover-up afterwards I think is often worse than what we were actually trying to cover up. And this could be the case here, and I'm not going to say that it is because I don't really know. I do. My outrage um, is the Ukraine war. Um, in particular, the, the story that came out this week about people trafficking the refugees that are coming into Poland and other areas. And it's just it's disgusting that in you have people fleeing for their lives, being able to just pick up a few of their belongings, and they're going to be victimized further mm. by this human filth to pick up these people and try and traffic them. It makes me sick. I'm, I'm sorry, just 30 seconds left for you. 30 seconds sorry. for me. The <laughs> Supreme Court uh, hearings for Ketanji Jackson to see uh, senators arguing that a public defender, a federal public defender that is defending the uh, the uh, prisoners Doing in Guantanamo, somehow, you know, it, it doesn't qualify her to be a Supreme Court and justice. the babies are racist. That's right. <laughs> Some of this stuff was really nutty. Yeah, Crazy beyond, stuff. Beyond the pale. All right, folks, thank you so much for 
uh, your time. Pablo and Scott and Leanne, great to see you. Folks, if you don't catch us Friday at 7 or Sunday at noon, we're all over social media. Our Facebook page, you can go to ripbs.org slash lively. You can catch all of our programs, their archive there, and your favorite podcast. Leanne's going to be competing with our podcast this week when she gets up and running. So wherever you get your favorite podcast, check out Lively. We hope you have a great week and come back next week as the Lively Experiment continues. Experiment is generously underwritten by. Hi, I'm John Hazen White Jr. For over 30 years, a lively experiment has provided insight and analysis of the political issues that face Rhode Islanders. I'm a proud supporter of this great program and Rhode Island PBS.